to Between the Banners, your basketball show hosted by the Tar Heel Blog podcast, tarheelblog.com and sbnation.com. My name is Chad Floyd, host of the Spare Operation, and I asked and TFJIY delivered, submitting a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, TFJIY. He said, enjoyable and good content, but the last few have been frustrating as some of the audio is not good. Please address otherwise great stuff. TFJIY, we are aware and we are working out the kinks as we go along. Uh, personally, I've always been a podcast host, but we'll take all of the responsibility as I am still a rookie producer. So we are working through those issues and isolating variables as they come. We're going to do great things and your feedback helps. So thank you so much, TFJIY. Folks, be like TFJIY. Leave a five-star review. I will read it on the air. And in his or her case, there was constructive feedback and ratings to help us grow and improve equipment, sound, and the podcast in general. Enough podcast business. We have a much more bizarre business world to talk about today, and we'll try to tangentially relate it back to our Tar Heels. NBA free agency is a mess, man. I'm joined by two esteemed colleagues, and we're going to try to unpack the complete reshuffling of our professional basketball organization here stateside. Al Hood, first time in a while, man. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Glad to be back on. Yeah, glad to have you. It's uh, it's been a minute. I I know that you are working out a whole lot of stuff, so um, I am really happy that you're joining me here at one o'clock on Tuesday because you have been at the forefront of the posting Woj bombs on our Slack channel, and that is really the only way I get to follow Woj bombs because I've been so busy I haven't been able to check Twitter lately. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, uh, it's been nice. One of the things about when you're recovering from something is you get a lot more time to, uh, stare at the, uh, at the bird machine. So, um, so this time of year is kind of fun for it. It is. And I also have the most savvy sports business Twitter follow of our Tar Heel blog team, Akil Garuparan on the show. Uh, Akil, what's going on, my man? I'm doing all right. That's a gross overstatement of how much I know about the business, but. You know, I'm just reading Twitter like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I, I still think I'm most drawn to your uh Ron Rivera criticism and Cam Newton um defense because that you know, it's something that seems glaringly obvious, but NFL Twitter just does not seem to comprehend that Ron Rivera is the problem. I mean, I still see him ranked among the top ten NFL coaches, which is just absurd to me. It boggles the mind. I, like, I, I have, or I follow people and I agree with them who say Cam Newton is single-handedly responsible for three NFL jobs right now. And it, like, it's just a testament to how much I think he covers up some deficiencies of the coaching staff. But, you know, the Panthers are looking pretty exciting this year. I, I think Cam's got a lot of help, even if it's not on the sidelines. So we'll see what happens come September. Yeah, I'm officially in the market for a Julius Peppers jersey now that he has retired. Um, I have a rule that I don't wear active players jerseys because I just feel like if I ran into them in public, it would be awkward. Um, so I've got that going for me. So I guess my Panthers fandom will actually take a financial uh, gain at some point this year. But we are not here to talk about the Panthers. We are here to talk about the league that basically has been turned upside down in the past two days, and we're going to try to tangentially relate it to some Tar Heels. Should we get the Tar Heels out of the way first? Yeah, we'll get yeah, the Tar Heels out of the way first. Um, sure, the NBA it. had free agency start at 6 p.m. on Sunday, which is a departure. Uh, usually it starts at midnight, and the true WTs will stay up well into the night uh, reading for Woj Bombs. Uh, fortunately, we got 
we got the scoop a little early and we got to digest a good bit of it on Sunday night. I still haven't digested 10% of what's happened, but Al, what in the ever living hell is this league? I don't know, man. Like, you know, anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I'm a huge hockey fan too. And when you look at the numbers for the contracts that the hockey players sign versus what the NBA players signed, it's ridiculous. Like, you know, we, we start with the Tar Heels just, and we'll make fun. We'll get into the Knicks a little bit more later, but like just Reggie Bullock, uh, Bullock, sorry, signing a two year, $21 million deal. I love Reggie. Great Tar Heel. So happy he was there. He's actually from the town that my grandparents used to live up in Kenston. Can anybody name what he's done on the court since he's been in the NBA? And yet somehow he's earned, he's going to earn $21 million in two years. Like I don't, it's amazing to me. Like the, the amount of money that the NBA can just hand out to players that just, Oh, look, you've played in the league. You must know what it's like to play in the league. Here you go. Here's some free money. It, it's just, it's amazing to me. Yeah. I uh, the, the most, the, the most absurd one to me was, uh, Terry Rozier, who is now a Charlotte Hornet, um, saying he was openly saying he was seeking 15 to 16 million dollars and the Hornets after, uh, losing Kemba Walker cut him a check for 19 a year. Um, that is, I mean, we'll probably touch on the Hornets just, uh, so I can cry a tear or two, but gracious live that they're, they're hard capped and they're going to be like the eighth worst team in the NBA again for like the, 36 straight season. Um, Akil, just kind of your overall impressions. Uh, the number you said to me in our pre-show meeting was just jaw-dropping to me. Yeah. So according to a, t- a tweet I read, 40% of the NBA became free agents on Sunday. And li- like a good number of them were going to get re-signed immediately. Um, and one example, that's Clay Thompson, even with the injury. But, you know, a lot of people just a lot of agents just fielding calls, trying to get the highest bidder. Like, just the entire auction pro- auction process is insane. So, Terry Rozier, even though Charlotte may have overpaid, like, you only overpay if there's competition at all. And Reggie Bullock, with one year of his two-year deal with the Knicks, is going to make more than he had in his entire NBA career before that. And it's stuff like this is just happening because... The, pool is so big and everyone's got the same top targets it it's just been absolutely insane it has been and you know you always wonder well this this team i mean clearly they don't have cap space and then you have cap casualties like which in the nba uh, contracts are fully guaranteed it's it's not the nfl where you have the second free agency period of your gerald mccoys and everybody moving on because they are no, they no longer fit under a team's cap. I mean, you know, you, you see something like D'Angelo Russell has been rescinded by the Nets, but he's going to the Warriors in a sign and trade. So the Warriors are trading Andre Iguodala to the Grizzlies for, well, they're trading Andre Iguodala with first round picks to absorb his salary. And it's just like a never ending cycle of, man, these are just some stupid numbers being thrown around. And I was going to finish the show on what's going to be the biggest Traded for cap considerations uh, deal in two or three years, and I think we have about twenty of them probably. Um, 
So let, let, let's uh, let, let's jump out with the big news. The Nets signed uh, Kevin Durant. They signed Kyrie Irving. They signed DeAndre Jordan. All the while, the New York Knicks had the plan to sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and draft Zion Williamson. Uh, team 20 minutes away did all those things besides drafting Zion Williamson, which was out of their control. Um, is Brooklyn now the uh, basketball city in New York, Akil? Or the basketball um, borough? It just might be like they. I mean, they have they have the star power. They've got the, they've got a management that people don't make fun of. Unlike with James Dolan, even if he's been more hands off, like he's still a punchline in the NBA. It's like, like Brooklyn is starting to become people's favorite place generally in New York. It, it like a lot of things are just turning that way. It looks like. Um, how many Knicks fans have you seen jumping off buildings since you are right there live on the scene? Um, it, it's been pretty dour, uh, like in a couple <laughs> of sports bars I've been to. Like, you know, like uh, Knicks fans, I think like RJ Barrett, okay, but you know, the, the free agency period they've had is essentially entirely a plan B, and no one's really happy with it. Yeah, and Al, let's talk about that plan B. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Reggie Bullock to the Knicks along with Wayne Ellington and along with Julius Randle. Um, my friend Daniel Palmer on his podcast, uh, on the movie trailer reviews network said, yeah, the, uh, Knicks were planning to get Zion Williamson and they got Zion Williamson without a vertical jump in Julius Randle. <laughs> um, so as it relates to the Knicks, I, Quite frankly, kind of like what they've done. They preserve some flexibility, uh, going into the future. They can build around RJ Barrett, but you've got two Tar Heels there that are going to be playing on the wings. Um, is it just a matter of James Dolan is going to have to no longer be the owner of this team before they can bring in another marquee free agent? I, I do feel like that that's the big thing at this point because I mean, you know, <laughs> The stories of what Dolan has done and the the inept way in which he has managed that, um, the inept way in which he's managed that franchise, um, is legendary in the NBA circles. And then on top of that, you just have the fact that they just keep striking out after with free agent after free agent after free agent. Um, you know, I know polarizing as he can be, um. When, um, a great podcast to listen to on this would be the, the Bill Simmons podcast he released on Sunday night where he's talking with Ryan Rosillo. In there, he gives like a three minute history of the New York Knicks trying to sign free agents since the mid nineties. But like, if you just even want to talk about this decade, you talk about them clearing everything out so that they could get LeBron James back in 2010. Um, they miss out on James, but hey, we get Carmelo Anthony. That really worked out well for them. Then they clear everything out to try to get Kevin Durant, uh, to the point to where I think Dolan didn't even show, didn't even show up to the meeting that they have for Durant. And then they're trying to get Durant again. They try to get Irving. You know, they just, you know, if you miss out on a marquee free agent once, maybe even twice, you know, you can explain it away. But when it just keeps happening time after time after time again, then clearly there's something systemic going on in the organization. The problem is, is that people, the Knicks are still a moneymaker. They, you know, between the MSG network that Dolan 
partly owns and the fact that people still go to see the Knicks play and they still pay the tickets and the revenue sharing, it's going to be tough for to force Dolan out as an owner because he's that team is worth is going to be worth multiple billions of dollars to someone and um he's able to just kind of rake the money in. And you kind of buried the lead a little bit. Um, Dolan was not willing to offer Kevin Durant max. Uh, when healthy, Kevin Durant the is the best too, player yeah. on the planet right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Akil, just to the absurdity of what the New York Knicks are and the opportunity for Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock to shine on the most overrated stage in basketball. <laughs> so before getting into that, I do want to say that I like you said, I kind of like what the Knicks did with their plan B. That, like, every free agent they signed, I think, um, Ellington, Bullock, um, Portis, and Randall, they all signed two-year deals with a team option on the second year. So even though they look like pretty ridiculous deals for them, they're, they're just one-year deals to help, to, to help the Knicks play right now. And they've got a solid young core. I, like, I like, the idea of Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Milikina, R.J. Barrett, and um, who's the other one? Uh, yeah, they went so wild with their plan B, it's so tough to keep track of everybody that they, they've freaking like signed. There's, there's a young big they have, I can't recall. But even still, like a front court of Dennis Smith, Milikina, and R.J. Barrett is like a solid young core. They're all like 21 and under. Uh, they can develop chemistry this year and have these more experienced role players. You know, they can teach them about life in the NBA. Reggie Bullock and Wayne Ellington have, have gone through like tremendous tragedy during their NBA careers. And I think they have, they've got a lot of experience to draw on as well, as well as like the kind of mentorship that the Tar Heel program brings out in people. So I think they're a tremendous locker room asset alongside the fact that they're both great shooters at the NBA level and can help a team contend, especially a team like the Knicks that's got way too much ball handling and could use some guys who just catch and shoot. And I kind of want to relate that to uh, the team that ended up getting Zion while we're speaking of Duke players. I love what the Pelicans have done surrounding uh, Zion and their young core of Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball with veteran talent. Um, hate to say it, but the JJ Redick acquisition might be one of the bigger moves in the league, if not for the Pelicans, uh, getting that veteran leadership than for the Sixers losing the only, uh, shooter of any note, uh, on their roster. So, uh, I mean, Al, what what do you have about the Pelicans? Because I kind of want to circle back to the Nets uh, to jump a UNC-related question in there. Um, I think that um, you got to give their GM credit. Um, once he's been operating at a hundred percent ever since he managed to get that deal for Anthony Davis. Like it was very clear that Davis wanted to go to LA. He didn't want to go to any other team. And yet somehow, um, the GM had managed to get just what managed to get a, a haul from, um, a, get a haul for those. And then they have a good draft with, um, who there's, who they surround them with. And then they, then they start signing other, um, others to go along with it. 
Um, you know, will New Orleans, you know, does this mean that they're a top team in the West? Absolutely not. But with all of the player movement that's gone on so far in the West, they will absolutely compete. And when you have a team of players, when you have a team of experience around a, a dynamic room, rookie like Zion, what it allows him to do is play his game with less pressure. Yes, he'll still be the focus. Yes, there will be a lot of pressure off him to be a star, but he's not going to be, it's not going to be a Kemba situation where he's the only player they have and maybe someone else steps up every now and then. He, you know, he can do his thing and, um, they can build an offense around what his abilities and limitations are and actually have quality players that can back them up to where they'll, maybe they don't make the playoffs, but they'll at least be, they'll at least be in every game. It'll be entertaining basketball to watch. The only not entertaining part is that the uh, New Orleans Pelicans currently employ five guys who uh, played at Duke. Uh, Akil, what do you have on, Akil, what do you have on our favorite deep South uh, party city? Um, I haven't been to New Orleans, unfortunately, but I love Austin, and uh, I don't know about Party City, but Austin's one of my favorites in the Deep South. Um, what else qualifies? <laughs> Atlanta's not really Deep South. Well, oh. well a- Atlanta definitely qualifies. Um, I was speaking more to a basketball sense, but if if we want to go Party okay, City, okay. New Orleans hear, is top notch. I didn't hear question right. I didn't hear the question. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, Al summed it up really well. They drafted Zion, which, you know, I think the SB Nation mothership put it really well. It's the obvious pick, but it doesn't stop it from being an excellent pick. Like, he can be a franchise changer, and then they changer, and then they surrounded him with, like, capable players. Like, guys he can depend on to help him carry the load that he's going to be carrying. And they're, at this point, they're appointment television, right? They're, They've got an exciting star. They've got players who can play well. They, there's not a team that they can't really compete with other than, like, the highest echelon, and it's the NBA. So even that's, like, in question. They've just, yeah, they've they've really had a flawless offseason. They have, and I want to circle back to the Nets right quick because I don't think they're any better for next year. Uh, they made a kind of a surprise playoff run really on the back of D'Angelo Russell, who they shipped out in order to uh, be able to afford both Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Uh, Durant's obviously probably not going to play this year. What does this mean for Theo Pinson is kind of the question, Akil, I wanted to shoot to you because he exceeded ex- any reasonable expectation, became a capable two-guard in the NBA, and with a ball-dominant Kyrie Irving, fits in really well as the guy who can play defense in Kyrie's stead and create in Kyrie's stead and really complements his skill set well as basically a guy who can overcome every shortcoming that Kyrie Irving has. Uh, well, at least on the court, uh, personality wise, I don't think anybody can overcome that. Yeah. He's uh, the Nets clearly like him. They made him a restricted, they, they gave him a two way contract this year and then made him a restricted free agent. He said that you know they were, they would have the ability to match any offer he got. He like, He's got an opportunity for sure. Even if, like whether or not he plays along Kyrie, he can facilitate at the one guard position, or he can be a two guard who kind of like for whom Kyrie fills in the space. Like he's if he's got a weakness, it's his inability to space the floor with shooting. So if Kyrie stretches it for him, he's going to be able to put, do a kind of Sean Livingston role 
and like use the mid range to his advantage, find the right guys, play on, play off, um, play on ball sometimes, off ball sometimes. He's definitely got that opportunity if he can take advantage of it. Um, yeah, and there's another Tar Heel signing in Brooklyn too, right? Is there? <laughs> um, I, no, I haven't been no, able to keep there up. Was one, there was one from Brooklyn because Ed Davis was there and he's not. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I was, I was actually going to go there next. And then if, uh, UNC fans wanted to check out, that would be their, uh, sign to check out because then we can jump into the absurdity of it. But, um, Al, I really like to kill's, uh, Sean Livingston comparison there, except, you know, Theo's got some bounce left in his legs. Um, just overall, I mean, the Nets are the clear winners of this deal. I mean, I think the Pelicans being probably the longer term planning, uh, winner of this whole free agency escapade. But you can't look at the Nets and say that's not a wonderful opportunity for Theo Pinson to gain some uh, national notoriety. Um, absolutely. I mean, the Nets wouldn't think that he, um, I mean, the Nets wouldn't have protected him unless they felt like he could play with the big club. Um, I'm not familiar enough with the NBA rules to know whether or not by putting that RFA out there, if that means it's a guaranteed contract for the entire year, meaning it wouldn't be a two-way deal like he would be with the club the entire time. Um, but that said, considering that they're going to have to pay two max slots, they're going to have to pay max, um, they're going to have to pay those slots, um, just to fit everything in. Um, with the Nets, his salary, which would be at the RFA level, I think was 1.6 for him. Um, that would be a very friendly contract for the Nets to kind of stay within the cap range so that they could actually have a player that's out on the court, that's familiar with the coach, that's played with the team, uh, that's played at a level that they felt comfortable enough giving him a full contract at the end of last season. Um, and, you know, it, it's that type of thinking. It's that type of that type of movement that turned Danny Green into one of the best and one of the top free agents this year. Just one of those guys that worked and ground and can do a lot of different little things for you um, to the point to where he may not be a superstar, but he's one of those guys that you need on your team. Absolutely. It's a, it's a star driven league and it to me is very similar to where, you know, the heat did not win the first year with uh, the big three and LeBron Wade and Bosch. But the next year, they added Shane Battier and Mike Miller and just coherent role players who can cover a couple of positions, uh, address deficiencies, and be kind of on that second team and then play big minutes in the playoffs. That is the exact type of player that you really need to have three or four of on every team if you're uh, planning on competing to host the O'Brien Trophy. And, you know, I, I think it's a great situation for Theo just – from a standpoint of, if anything else, he gets re-signed by the Nets and his national brand is just going to blow up just being on the court with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And, I mean, as, you know, the players that we mentioned as we got started with this, Wayne Ellington, as Reggie Bullock will show you, you know, maybe you're not a superstar, but if you can get to a point to where you're playing consistently in the NBA and once contracts are up, NBA GMs tend to sign people who have played in the NBA and have NBA experience. And once you have that, you almost always can find a contract for longer than you would think. Um, and you can earn, you can, you can make a very nice living uh, just doing that. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is absolutely going to be a great opportunity for them. 
Yeah, when role players are getting signed to 15 to 20 million dollar a year contracts, if you just put that on a per game basis, you're talking like 200 to 250,000 dollars every time you put on the uniform. That's yeah. That's good living, man. Um I I think yeah. I missed my calling as as an undersized white 6-foot point guard, but <laughs> Yeah, I mean and the, the thing of this is too is that I mean you look at those contracts, you've got that, you've got Ed Davis, you've got Tony Bradley who's still working off of his rookie deal, you've got John Henson who's on who you'll probably start hearing his name as someone that Cleveland's going to want to trade soon because his he's playing on a 20 million dollar contract in Cleveland right now. Like John Henson is earning 20 million dollars in Cleveland right now. Danny Green's probably going to sign the best free agent deal that he has. Um, Ray Felton may get a contract down the road. He's looking like he, he was on an NBA team last year. So like, you know, Carolina, especially under Roy Williams, they may not have gotten any superstars, but they sure are filling the league with just guys who, when they get in the league, they stay in the league. And there, there are a couple of, uh, examples to the contrary, but overall, I agree with the premise and guys like Ray Felton, who are kind of in that third tier, they're absolutely going to show up as rotation guys on the Lakers because the Lakers have two players on their team. Yeah. <laughs> and let's, um, they might have, let, let's jump. They might have three. They, they might have three. There's the rumors about Leonard heading out there, but if Leonard does go out there, then they may sign a Ray Felton because they're not going to have a lot of money to sign many other, any, anybody else. Well, yeah, Tyler Zeller might get a contract. Sean May might get a contract. I mean, yeah, exactly. You, Damian Grant might be uh, playing playoff minutes for the Lakers. You, you just never really know. Let's talk about that uh, bronze medal team for this NBA offseason. It's kind of quiet because it's freaking Utah, but the Jazz made a pretty nice uh, trade to pick up Mike Conley. Uh, they signed one of the Bogdanovich brothers, um, and. Then they added Ed Davis on a two-year, $10 million contract. Um, uh, the name Mike Prada of SB Nation said that that is one of the sneaky best deals, uh, getting a guy who can play playoff minutes as a big um, for $5 million a year seems like a penance in this league. Akil, what do we need to know about the Utah Jazz? And Tony Bradley's still there. Um, So the Jazz... I think so. A lot of people have said essentially that signing Ed Davis is going to take away a lot of the minutes that Tony Bradley was in line for, and there could be some truth to that. There, like, there's still obviously questions about him, and even though he had. Hey there, Chad Floyd, host of this podcast. At this point in the podcast, we lost Akil for good, and well, he's not dead or anything, but uh, he will be back on future episodes. But we lost him for this episode, so what we're going to do is take a quick break, and Al and I are back to run around the NBA and talk about the absurdity some more. So at this point, I couldn't really salvage some of the audio where we were discussing the Utah Jazz. Riveting, I know. Ed Davis signed with them for two years, $10 million. We discussed that. We discussed Mike Conley and the impact that Donovan Mitchell may have as the star of that team, and whether or not the Jazz are one of the winners of the offseason. But we jump back in talking about how the Ed Davis signing could affect Tony Bradley and his lack of an NBA career thus far. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, for me, the Tony Bradley consideration is kind of moot because the dude's played 12 NBA games in two years. Uh, so, you know, you can't really bank on that guy being a competent, you know, playoff rotation guy. So 
having the mentorship of Ed Davis, maybe he unlocks something in Bradley, and maybe in two years Bradley can become that competent rotation piece. But, Al, do you really see any reason to believe that this adversely or positively affects Tony Bradley's NBA career? Because I've kind of written that one off. I haven't written it off yet uh, just because big men um, develop at a different rate. Um, But I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head in the sense that um, there was this really good big man that was available to sign. Utah was able to get him at an amazing rate. The signing has been praised all around NBA circles. Um, Zach Lowe uh, quoted as soon as it happened saying you get Ed Davis because Ed Davis does good basketball things. So, um, you know, having him there, you know, if he, if Bradley continues to do well in the summer league and then comes to practice with someone like Ed Davis and has a quality big to practice against and someone who's got the experience to practice against, um, you know, it, it, you still have plenty of time to essentially salvage, uh, what has, what would probably be considered a disappointment so far. Um, but like I just said, also, I mean, once all all it takes is one decent year or or even a a good year um and once you have that um once you have that you're set so um i haven't completely written tony bradley off yet um and even if the his uh for, even if his rookie contract ultimately ends up being his only contract he's still going to see more money than i'll probably see in my entire lifetime this is a good point when you state it that way. Uh, let's jump just strictly into the absurdity of all of the stars that we have not mentioned as of yet, because what's nice is we can kind of tackle two teams uh, per guy because they all kind of relate. Let's start with my favorite stupid-ass story, uh, Jimmy Butler to the Miami Heat. Um, he determined he wanted to go to the Heat because of the love they showed for Dwayne Wade. Jimmy Butler, my dude, you are not Dwayne Wade. Um, Al, I think we lost a kill again. So let's talk about this because it also affects the Rockets who were trying to thra- trade 60% of their starting five to get Jimmy Butler. And um those guys are still there. They all either hate James Harden or Chris Paul, and that's going to be a dumpster fire to watch next year. But Jimmy Butler to the Heat does not really move the needle on a national level because the Heat are multiple pieces away. But I, I just found that one funny. Yeah, I mean, it's the funny thing about this league is that it's just it, players have an amazing amount of control in a lot of ways. Um, you know, look at Kyrie. In a lot of ways, that move to Miami is a, simply how Kyrie essentially orchestrated his move over to Brooklyn. You know, would he be better off staying in Boston with everything that they had? Absolutely. But he was such a teammate cancer um in that locker room that he realized that situation just wasn't tenable enough and you wonder if it's going to be the same situation with Jimmy Butler that he goes down to that he goes down to that locker room and um in Miami and whatever chemistry whatever they're trying to build down there he ends up making it worse um well, but yeah you know and I don't want to dwell too much on Jimmy Butler because that's probably the least relevant uh big player moving because every team that he has played for and then left uh has pretty much openly despised him. Um I want to tie that back to Kyrie because I think you bring up an interesting point and I kind of want, want to talk about the Celtics thing uh with a Boston 
resident here. But Jimmy Butler's uh, career path has followed the Versace killer's path in that he has played in <laughs> Chicago, Minnesota, Philadelphia, and now Miami where he killed Versace. And I don't know. that That's fun, but it's also a very nice little uh, metaphor for Jimmy Butler and what he does to NBA teams. Yeah, it just, you know, good luck to him. Um, and, you know, we'll see what he does. Maybe, uh, maybe the 10th time is a charm for him in terms of finding a, uh, in terms of finding a comfortable home and a place where he likes to play and teammates that'll put up with him. And speaking of teammates that'll put up with guys, uh, the Celtics made out pretty nicely exchanging, uh, Kyrie Irving for Kimball Walker. Um, but, my question to you is, is this all on Kyrie? Because, you know, they talk about how Kimball Walker is going to be a better fit in Brad Stevens' offense. They're basically the same player. They have the same usage rate. They are ball-dominant, shoot-first point guards. Uh, the difference being that Kimball Walker has a personality that you that you might be drawn to, and Kyrie Irving has the polar opposite of that. Is that enough to make a difference for your hometown team? It's enough to make a difference if the only thing you did was swap those two players. The problem is, is that the Celtics also lost Al Horford in the deal. Um, it, well, not in the deal, but basically they lost Al Horford once it became clear that Irving was going to leave. And that's a huge loss for the Celtics because Horford as a big could really stretch the floor. He could shoot the three and really make it difficult for defenses to guard the Celtics. Um, the Celtics have uh, replaced Horford with Ennis Cantor. Um, not exactly a comparable uh, switch. So um, it's really going to be on their two big young guys, Jason Tatum and uh, Jason Brown, um, to uh, Brown and Tatum, um, to be able to actually show the growth and show improvement that they did at the end of the 2018 season and not regress further like they did last season. Um, you know, and a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, obituaries of the season, once it became clear that Irving was going to leave, um, it, you put a majority of the blame on Irving, but it does, there were stories that came out about how, um, the quote unquote young guys wouldn't listen to him at all, uh, despite the fact that he had experience and he was trying to be a leader. Apparently Irving's attempts to be a leader sucked, but still. Well, um, I mean, you, you've got to be a leader by example and not because you say you're a leader. See Jimmy Butler. Um, exactly. But at the same time, um, you know, it is, you can look and you can see that the, the young guys also regressed. They got a little jealous and a little upset over the fact that they had been able to propel Boston into the Eastern Conference finals in 2018. And now Irving was coming in and trying to take shots and take things away from them. So now with Kimba coming in, the question is, um, does that chemistry make the difference enough to where those two go back on the path they were before? Um, and uh, is Kimba happy as someone who now that he has talent to play around, does he still feel like the type of guy who needs to put up his shots at night? Or is he going to be more than happy with several nights where maybe he only shoots the ball 10 or 12 times? Um, if, if he's that type of player and, but, and by all accounts and anyone who's watched Charlotte knows that if, you know, they had had that sort of talent on the team, he probably would have been thrilled to be that type of player. Um, if that's the case, Boston is a team to look out for, especially this year in the East where, 
um, there's no Durant playing for the Nets. The, the, and if Leonard goes out to LA, the East is wide open. Yeah. And the other thing with the Celtics is they had the pieces to best any offer for Kawhi Leonard last offseason or Anthony Davis this offseason. And Danny Ainge just kind of sat on his hands, uh, farted around and decided to keep collecting assets. At what point, I mean, just given how the Celtics have really regressed over the past two years since they kind of had their breakout in 2017, at what point do you say this is a failed experiment because nobody ever pushed their chips in? It's getting close. Um, the Anthony Davis one is partly because, uh, Anthony made it, Davis made it very clear that he was not going to re-sign in Boston if, uh, Boston tried the Toronto move. And Ainge was gambling on the idea that Boston is a different market than Toronto and such that you don't have to make that sort of Toronto move, uh, to get a player over there. They're going to want to come to Boston. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that Irving, I'm sorry, Kimball Walker's the biggest free agent that's come to choose to sign the Celtics in the last couple of years, unless you count Horford and, uh, Gordon Haywood. And they kind of had an in with Haywood with Brad Stevens. Um, it's getting close. They are very close to this being a failed experiment. And if Tatum and Brown don't de- continue to develop, uh, to the point to where you can either c- count on them as cornerstones for your franchise in the future or at the very least trade them for other assets down the road, then absolutely it is absolutely fair to start wondering whether or not this is a failed experiment in Boston. Yeah, and before I caught the news that Horford had moved on to Philly, I, I thought, okay, yeah, I mean, Horford and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart, uh, that is a rotation that absolutely should win the East. You know, maybe Bucks notwithstanding and Ky- Kawhi Leonard going to the West Coast notwithstanding. But now, I mean, it just looks like a mess of kind of just misfit toys uh that are all pretty good, and most teams would kill for that talent. So. I didn't want to go down a Boston rabbit hole, but I thought that was kind of one of the exceptional weird situations. And really, we can talk about any situation in the NBA, and it's yeah. overtly weird at this point. Uh Kawhi Leonard, biggest fish still out there. Lakers, Clippers, or Raptors. Um The Raptors are the only team with championship infrastructure in place, given that they just hoisted the trophy two weeks ago. Uh What, what do you think Kawhi does and – well, yeah, let, let's start there. Okay. Um, you know, if you believe, uh, what Wojanowski is saying is that, uh, the Lakers right now have the best in for him, but it's still not a, uh, it's still not 100% for sure. Uh, he supposedly is going to make his decision later on this week. Um, you know, it, it's tough to, it would be tough to blame Leonard for going out to Los Angeles with this, uh, to either the Lakers with the setup that they have out there. Uh, or the Clippers because they've built a really solid team out there and you've got a really quality, you've got a quality coach in Doc Rivers who may not be able to develop young talent, but when you actually have, uh, established talent, he knows how to play them. Um, and, uh, it's tough when you're looking at media opportunities, uh, to compare being in Toronto versus being out in Los Angeles. It just, that city has such an allure for all the NBA players. So, uh, but at the same time, the Toronto season went a lot better for Leonard than I think he probably expected it to go. 
Uh, and there's a decent chance that if Leonard decides to stay in Toronto, Danny Green is going to stay out there too. Uh, the word with him is that he's not going to make his decision until Leonard decides what he wants to do. Now, that doesn't mean he's following Leonard, but he doesn't want, for instance, he doesn't, if, if Leonard does come back to Toronto and things worked out well for him in Toronto, that probably helps him stay in Toronto. Um, the Mavericks are in on him and, and whatnot, but, um, I, I think, uh, right now, very likely he ends up in the West Coast, but I wouldn't count out Toronto yet. Wouldn't count him out yet. Well, well, here's the interesting thing about Kawhi and the obvious leverage that he holds is by delaying his decision, he's kind of setting back whatever team he goes to, especially the Lakers, because those second and third tier free agents that we referenced earlier, they've already been gobbled up with contracts that are three times what I would, any rational person would expect them to get. And the Lakers aren't going to have the money for those guys. And they're not going to be available to say, Hey, come chase a championship with Anthony Davis, LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. So. Um, yeah, Joel Barry, if he goes out to LA, Joel Barry may actually end up playing for the Lakers next year simply because they can't get anybody else. Well, there we go. We, we drew another Tar Heel connection in there and I appreciate that because it would have totally gone over my head. Um, <laughs> I mean, what, what else is, a I mean, basically, is there a team that looks like a contender for next year? That we can right now look at and say, hey, they probably got better because the Warriors trade out Durant and Clay Thompson for D'Angelo Russell and Clay Thompson's going to resign with the Warriors, but he's not going to play for most of the year. Um, Portland maybe got better. I think Hassan Whiteside is a big time negative, uh, but they, they made another move that was impressive and it's not coming to me. Like I said, uh, 40% of the NBA has changed teams. I have no idea. Um, do you have I think a team you could that... argue, I mean, I think you could argue Philly. Um, they got Horford, who is universally known as a big, um, as a big, um, uh, team stretch first four. guy. Yeah. Big stretch for someone who really gives them some, uh, really gives them some experience down low, uh, and is now really hungry for a championship. Um, and they lose, uh, Jimmy Butler, who we just spent, you know, so much time disparaging. Uh, I think, uh, you know, addition by subtraction plus adding Horford, like, plus the experience that they had of almost just their series ending on that last second shot, you know, maybe that's, um, you know, the, you could look at Philly and just be like, they, they may have just gotten better. And Milwaukee too. I mean, they haven't, they really haven't needed to add any pieces. They've been staying quiet throughout this whole process because they really haven't had to make any changes. They really didn't have any, body they were losing they're just kind of sitting back and letting everybody uh letting everybody just kind of uh do whatever whirlwind changes meanwhile they're essentially bringing back their team well milwaukee lost malcolm brogdon who we didn't touch on the indiana pacers i love their uh past 48 hours because brogdon was excellent and just getting into the albatross contract portion uh chris middleton Good player, made an all-star team or two. I don't know if he's a $180 million player. So I, I don't love what the Bucks have done. And with uh Edens coming out and saying that they're not going to be a luxury tax team, their long-term projection uh with Giannis and everything all of a sudden becomes really tricky for me. So I, I kind of am down on what the Bucks have done. So we can agree to disagree there. 
Uh, it just makes man. a better podcast I, that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we should uh, start yelling at each other about the Milwaukee Bucks. That's uh, what a UNC-centric <laughs> podcast audience wants to hear. Uh, please leave a five-star review if you want to hear Al and I come back and argue about the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's a good one. Really, no, really nothing else. Let's see here. Uh, Spurs signed Damari Carroll, which seems very Spurs. Uh, the Mavericks are in on a bunch of guys, but, uh, they re-upped with Chris Dapps. The Thunder are weird to me because they got two max guys and Paul George and Russell Westbrook have gotten bounced from the first round in the past two years and they haven't done a damn thing. Um, I don't know, anything else you want to touch upon? Because we could probably take this out two hours and really hash it out. But in the interest of brevity, I don't really know if we need to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with still a couple of the big uh, big cogs still up in the air, uh, things still aren't quite settled uh, yet on this. I think once uh, I think once Leonard falls into place, then the the rest of those second and third tier free agents will start falling into place and then you'll have a better idea of what to kind of judge with the landscape. But um kudos to all of those second and third tier free agents that were able to get the 10 and $15 million deals now while teams are desperate to go ahead and get people signed. You are, yeah. you are living the good lives, man. Like and, hats off to you. And is it fair to say that's coded language for congratulations to Tar Heels who are decent, but not great NBA players getting 10 to $15 million a year to continue playing basketball? Yeah, even or even a tip to Harrison Barnes for somehow getting another oh yes four years twenty plus per from the Kings. I mean, and the thing is, like that's still not fair to Barnes because you're not going to get those contracts unless you're you're good for your teams. And by all accounts, he's a good player. You don't hear him talking about being a pro- a problem player or off the court problem player or anything along those lines. But it's like. He just keeps getting paid, man. You just you, you can't you can't do nothing but chip your hat to that. Well, he, and here's the nice thing about the Harrison Barnes one because I, I think we can touch on that and end on it, uh, being that he's the Tar Heels' highest paid NBA player. And I had completely forgotten about him. I literally looked at a, te- a list of NBA teams and didn't think we needed to touch on Sacramento. Um, one, he's probably the best player on that roster right now. Two. His contract is front-loaded such that when the Kings are contending, he's going to be making a little bit less money, and apparently that was of his volition because he wants to play for a winner. You know, he he wants to kind of be a leader. Uh, three, obviously the complete lack of off-the-court, almost to the level of boring and the most lily-white player in the NBA, is definitely a good player to have as a leader on a young and upcoming team, which the Kings, if run competently, could be. So I really like uh, what Harrison Barnes did there. And, you know, maybe, maybe the Kings are going to be worth watching for the first time in 20 years here, in the next couple of years. I mean, for a, a, an organization that was for years considered one of the more incompetent ones, you know, Sacramento was just kind of retreated back. They've used their draft picks. They've got, they've gathered collateral. Um, and they've, there's, they're making smart, they're making smart moves. And as, you know, the, what, the, the only thing that they're handcuffed with right now is just how potentially strong the West could be. But if they're, if their young stars develop, you know, they very easily could turn into a Portland and very easily could explode if, if they continue to get uh, managed this way, managed well. So to, uh, TLDR this podcast, 
then. Um, the small market teams making sound plays. Uh, kudos to Utah, Portland, Sacramento, New Orleans, uh, everybody that you could call a small market team except for Charlotte. Y'all did okay. Charlotte, you fucking suck. Um, Al, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you yeah. have coming to TarHillBlog.com? Because I know this is not our normal beat, but uh, I thought that made it a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I am, um, you know, keeping an eye on any uh, Tar Heel news that breaks over the uh, summer uh, to try to pop in and out with uh, a story here and there. But uh, I'm back on the summer baseball beat. Uh, on Wednesdays, you can read and catch up with the uh, 11 or so uh, Tar Heels that are playing summer ball, both in the Cape Cod and Coastal Plains League, uh, see their stats, see how they're improving um, definitely pay attention to the ones that are in the in the coastal plains because those are guys that you haven't seen that with the attrition that the Tar Heel baseball team is going to have going into next season, those are names that you're probably going to see a lot more of. A uh, quick tangent on the Coastal Plain League. Do we have any Fayetteville Swamp Dogs? Uh you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Uh no, there are no uh there are no there are no players in Fayetteville. Good. Um I interned with them for probably the worst week of my life one summer during college. Um, that's a story <laughs> for another day, but essentially getting paid a dollar seventy-five to work a full eight to five and then do slave labor on the field. Um, yeah, we're, we're not going to speak to that. I don't think I'd be burning any bridges, but, uh, I've, I've already reached my F-bomb limit for this podcast, but I did save it for 50 minutes. Um, as, <laughs> As for me, uh, Jacob Cowden and I kind of came up with an idea for some slightly off the beat, uh, podcast that we can do here during the slow months. Um, I do have some guests that I'm trying to finalize some things with, but that has been a fool's errand to an extent, but I will be back and getting us content to survive this, uh, just long, slow off season as we go along. Might write something here from time to time. But until next time, thank you all for your feedback. Thank you for listening. Thank you to TFJIY, uh, actually heeding the call for reviews and giving us some feedback that will help us move forward as we are trying to work on all of those things. Until next time, we'll see you in Go Heels. <laughs>